So y'all, this is our second week of prayer week, and we are concluding our special break we take every year and thinking about how important prayer is and trying to refuel the fire of prayer in our own lives. And this year's prayer guide was five days of scriptural prayers. And if you're like me, maybe you found some of those prayers a little intimidating. They got some big words, some big concepts. And the people who prayed them are seemingly, at least, on a different planet for most of us when it comes to prayer. Now, however hard we try, it seems like becoming the kind of person of prayer that we all want to be always seems a little beyond our grasp. I think about James, the Lord's brother, who ended up with the nickname Camel Knees because he spent so much time in prayer he developed thick calluses on his knees. Can you imagine praying so much you get calluses on your knees? That's weird. Uh, I can't really fathom that. I think about the uh, English preacher George Mueller who started orphanages and was up every morning before 4 o'clock praying for hour on hour on hour. I don't know that I'll ever attain to that level of prayer. And so sometimes when you think about prayer and when you study prayer and when you read examples of the great saints through the ages who have been people of prayer, it can be discouraging. And if you're like me and that is how you feel, this passage is for you. Turns out you don't have to be all spiritually put together to get God's attention when you pray. All you have to be willing to do is to cry out. And so this morning, I want you to see from this passage that when you bring your brokenness to Jesus in prayer, he'll greet you with his mercy and give you what you need. So you don't have to be put together. You don't have to be old camel knees. Just be willing to pray. All right, we do see this from this passage, Bartimaeus calling on Jesus to heal him. This is actually the final healing miracle Jesus performs in his gospel. Um, by the time he gets out of Jericho, he is completely set on the city of Jerusalem, where he knows he's going to be handed over to the religious leaders, he's going to be betrayed by one of his disciples, and he's going to be crucified. And so because of that, you'd be forgiven if you think that once he left the city gates of Jericho, he would be all business, thinking about nothing but the fateful week that lay before him. But that's not the case. He takes notice of this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And he's the second blind man that Jesus has interacted with in his gospel. All the way back in Mark chapter 8, we saw Jesus spit in the mud and rubbing a guy's eyes, healing him, telling him to look around. And he looked around first and said, Jesus said, can you see? And he said, well, I can kind of see, but I see trees walking around like men. And Jesus prayed again, and finally the man's eyes were opened. And if you take the healing of the blind man in Mark 8 and the healing of Bartimaeus in Mark 10, they create interesting bookends around everything that lies in the middle. You can go home this afternoon and just start there in Mark 8.22 and read all the way to the end of Mark 10 and see that what they bookend is the overwhelming confusion that still remains on the disciples. They've spent three years with Jesus by this point. They've seen everything he did, the way he interacted with people. They've absorbed his teaching, trying to get recalibrated to his kingdom values. And yet, it seems that these blind men are more perceptive to who Jesus really is than they are. 
And because of that, Bartimaeus sort of stands for us as the perfect example of a person who sees Jesus for who he really is and responds to him appropriately. I mean, though Bartimaeus was blind, he was willing to cry out on the information he had that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by. He was willing to cause a scene believing that he could bring God's mercy to bear. And so I want you to learn four lessons this morning for how we should pray, how we should bring our brokenness to Jesus in prayer from Bartimaeus' example. Okay, And here's the first one, that if you get serious about bringing your brokenness to Jesus, you're going to have to do it believingly. Now, you're going to have to forgive me for all the L-Y's on the end of my words today. Believingly is not a word. Microsoft Word kept telling me that you're misspelling this. It is a word. And if you want to bring your brokenness to Jesus, you got to do it believingly. Look again here in verse 46 and 47 at how Bartimaeus cried out. In verse 47, Mark tells us, When he heard it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this prayer tells you everything you need to know about Bartimaeus' faith, about the belief he had in Jesus. He knew who Jesus was, and he knew what Jesus was able to do. And if you're going to be bringing your brokenness to Jesus, you've got to know the same thing. You've got to believe in who he is. Bartimaeus first says, Jesus, son of David. Son of David. This is an interesting phrase that shows up in the Old Testament, but is pervasive in the literature of Jesus' day, that while the people of Israel were waiting for God to fulfill his promises and send them a Messiah, they began to look for one who would fulfill the promises God had made to David, the Old Testament king who had established Israel and the land, overcoming their enemies and ushering in a golden age of God's blessing and prosperity. They looked for the day when God would send a son of David to do what David had done. They were right to think this. God had promised David in 2 Samuel 7 that he would always have a son who would sit on his throne. He said in 2 Samuel 7, 16, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. So the people of Israel are looking to God to fulfill this promise to David, to raise up for them a son of David who would sit on his throne and conquer his enemies and usher in a new era of God's saving rule. This expectation was developed through the prophets, especially Ezekiel. I love what God tells Ezekiel to say in Ezekiel 37. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them up out of all their dwelling places in which they've sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they will be my people." And I will be their God. And my servant David will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd. And they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. And this was the hope for God's people. That someday he would send a Messiah, a son of David, who would fulfill the promises he had made to his people and establish his kingdom on earth. And Bartimaeus believed that Jesus was that man. Now, he hadn't seen the miracles he had performed like the disciples had, but apparently he had heard of him, and he'd heard enough to know in his heart of hearts that the hopes and longings that the people had held were being fulfilled in Jesus. So he cried out to him, believingly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You got to believe who Jesus is. 
Jesus is the Son of God. We just celebrated Christmas. We believe that he is God's Son sent in human flesh to live a perfect life on our behalf, to die on the cross, to suffer the penalty our sins deserve, and that God raised him up again on the third day from the grave. Now he's seated in heaven at God's right hand where he is ruling and reigning until he puts his last enemy under his feet, who's death. Someday Jesus is coming again, and he is going to establish his kingdom on earth. But right now he is at work in the world by his spirit through the preaching of the gospel. And he's ready to do for you more than you can ask, think, or imagine. Do you believe who he is? But you also got to believe what he's able to do. Bartimaeus said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, Bartimaeus knew that because Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah coming to bring the kingdom of God near, he was able to bring God's mercy to bear on his brokenness. Later, he asks Jesus to heal him of his blindness, but Bartimaeus saw his blindness as a subset of a bigger problem. He didn't say, Jesus, son of David, heal my eyes. He said, have mercy on me. He saw himself as a person, first and foremost, not who was blind, but a person who was in desperate need of God's mercy, of the kind and loving heart of the Father poured out on him. And Bartimaeus knew that Jesus is just the man who could pour it out. He'd heard about all the times Jesus had interacted with people, broken people, people with disabilities, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to walk, people who were on the verge of death and he was able to raise them up, people who were outcasts from societies like lepers, the woman who had a flow of blood. Over and over and over, Jesus had brought the merciful, kind, loving heart of God to bear for broken people. And Bartimaeus believed, if I cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he can do it for me too. He believed in his heart of hearts that Jesus could bring the mercy of God to bear in his life. And because of that, I think that he's the perfect example of a person who brought his brokenness to Jesus believingly. He knew the biblical principle. Spelled out for us in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe that he is, that means that he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Bartimaeus knew that, and he acted on the faith he had in who Jesus was and what Jesus was able to do, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever prayed without faith? I have. I have. I know, you know what it feels like, right? When you know, hey, you know what I should do in this situation is pray. And so maybe you verbalize the words, God, you're going to have to help me in this situation. Or maybe it's in your quiet heart, and just before him, you say, God, you're going to have to help me. But you also are sort of hedging your bets and thinking like, okay, I know I should pray, but I don't think God's going to hear this one, or this is too big for him to intervene in. And so I've got to come up with a plan B. Plan A, God comes through. Plan B, I figure it out on my own. You ever prayed those prayers? Or am I alone? Okay, okay, good. We're on the same page. And so then you know how futile those prayers are. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I mean, it's counterintuitive. Faith is an admission of our helplessness before God, where we bring him all that we have, nothing. So God, I got this mess and I need your help. Prayer is an admission of our helplessness. It's an expression of our dependence. We talked about this last week. God, I cannot do this on my own. Independence has not worked out well for me. 
I'm dependent on you. You're going to have to figure this out. Prayer is an expression of dependence. And because of that, it must be offered in faith. It must be offered believingly. To offer it any other way is to counteract the very thing that prayer is, an admission of our helplessness and an expression of our dependence. That's why James could say, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. But the one who asks should ask in faith and with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord because he's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. And when you bring your brokenness to God half-heartedly, unbelievingly, doubting, double-mindedly, you're like a rudderless ship lost out at sea, left to go here when the waves rip and roar, to go there when the wind blows, but completely at the mercy of whatever is happening around you. You ever felt that way? There are hopes and wishes going out there somewhere, but you're just adrift. James says, with faith, though, there's an anchor that lays hold of Jesus, who's a solid rock, who despite the roaring and ripping of the waves and the blowing of the wind and storm, you're firm, steadfast, immovable. Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the man who builds his house on the rock. When the winds blow and the rains came and the floods rose, the man's house was safe. I mean, there is a way to live life solid and anchored and rooted to who God is, and we take hold of him by believing prayer. When we bring our brokenness to God, knowing that he is the God who loves us and cares for us, who is merciful and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love, who gave his own son that we might have an abundant life, and who invites us into his presence to ask from him whatever it is we need, we come believing those words, you'll find a solid place to stand and an anchor for your life. So bring your brokenness to Jesus believingly. We also see from Bartimaeus that we got to bring our brokenness to Jesus persistently. And I love Bartimaeus because he's one of those people who just won't shut up. He says in verse 48, Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, to really understand this crowd's response to Bartimaeus, you've got to understand who he was. I mean, he's a blind man sitting near the city gates on the side of the road. The crowd of people are festal pilgrims. They've got one mission. They have an 18-mile ascent from the city of Jericho to the city of Jerusalem, where they're going to go celebrate the Passover together. They, They are caught up. They're like a crowd of fans heading from the parking lot after tailgating into the stadium to watch the game. Nobody's stopping them. They are on a mission for Jerusalem. And as they make their way out of the city gates, there's this guy crying out. Now, the Greek word for crying out is krodzane, and it's an onomatopoeia that describes the sound a crow makes. Craw! Like that. Okay? Not a dignified word. This guy, Bartimaeus, is causing a scene. He's crying out this guttural, crazy sound, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And these people just want him to be quiet. Keep it down. We're worshiping. 
We are singing our psalms. We are heading to the holy city. We are ready to meet with God. Get out of our way. Pipe down, Bartimaeus. But no matter how many times they told him, he was going to persist. He was going to cry out all the more, all the more loudly, all the more chaotically. You guys are not going to deny me. This is Jesus the Nazarene. I know who he is and what he's capable of doing, and I'm going to cry out as loud as I have to to get that man's attention. And in prayer, that's often the way it works. You often have to cry out and cause a scene. It often feels that way anyway for me. I mean, Jesus' disciples over here trying to mind his schedule and keep him on task, and Bartimaeus trying to barge in. And I felt that way before. Like, I'm going to have to persist over some obstacles. Let me tell you about some of the obstacles I've experienced in my life. How about weakness of the flesh? Jesus took Peter, James, and John into the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal, and he said, hey, guys, will you pray with me for an hour? Pray with me for an hour. He goes a little way away and prays, and he comes back, and he says, what? You guys are sleeping? Couldn't you wait and pray with me for an hour? He says, I know what's wrong with you. Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. And sometimes when I'm trying to pray, maybe when you're trying to pray, the first obstacle we have to get over is right here. It's within ourselves. Have you ever experienced? I mean, it is unexplainable drowsiness. You toss and turn all night. Can't get a restful minute sleep. You say, you know what I'll do? I'll get up and pray. And so you go and you get at your spot and you're about to pray. And what do you do? You doze off. Why? Why? What's, that's unexplainable. Up all night and fall asleep when I try to pray. That's a weakness of your flesh. That's what it is. What about distractions? Got to persist over some distractions. Have you ever noticed that it seems like your mind decides the perfect time to plan your weekly meals is when you sit down to pray. You know what you should do right now? You should decide what you're going to eat Friday night for dinner. Like, there are more important things than that. To think about all the tasks you got to get done that day. To balance your checkbook. To check the social media feeds. Have you ever noticed how you, when you sit down to pray, it seems like it's right then that everybody needs you. Your family needs you. Your friends need you. And you think they need you even if they don't. I should go check and see what they're doing you got to get over some distractions. Persist over them to pray. How about discouragement? You ever have to persist through some discouragement when you pray? I think this is the one that I've dealt with the most. You know, Jesus never told us that prayer would be easy, like it was a one-and-done thing. Just, hey, mention it once, and it's all good. Instead, he did the opposite. He told stories about people who kept on praying, prayed once and kept on praying over and over and over and over again. He told this story about a woman in Luke 18. He said, uh, Luke tells us he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying that in a certain city there was a judge who didn't fear God and didn't respect man. But there was also a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, even though I don't fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I'll give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she'll wear me out. <laughs> I heard a man say, Amen. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. 
Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you, he'll bring about justice for them quickly. He wants you to pray persistently. You're not a bother to him when you pray for the same thing over and over and over. In fact, he tells you that's kind of how prayer works. You pray and 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 maybe sometimes you have to pray some more before you get your answer. And in the moment, it's discouraging because you sit down and you pray for it again and that voice within you says, why are you praying for this? And then you go up and you decide, hey, you know what? God doesn't care about me. And that doubt starts to creep in. And so you may say the prayer, but you're not really believing that God wants to come through for you. So you have to persist with the discouragement. But then after the fact, when the prayer comes through, you find that it's often a gift that God makes you pray persistently because your praying doesn't wear him out so much as it wears you down. And the prayers you pray start to conform to his desires. And so you might have been praying for one thing, but eventually you pray for another. And sometimes he just ignores your requests altogether. Like the way the one uh, theologian Martin Luther said it, he said, often we pray for silver and God gives us gold. The other theologian, Martin uh, Garth Brooks, excuse me, <laughs> said sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And aren't you glad he didn't answer the prayer the first time you prayed it? I mean, man, wouldn't it have turned out terrible? If God's blank check meant that every prayer you pray gets automatically answered. Now, but sometimes you have to persist. You have to cry out all the more, overcoming distractions and the weakness of your flesh and discouragement until finally, finally it gets through. And the Bible talks about this and tells us this wonderful story about a man named Jacob who desperately wanted to be blessed by God. In Genesis 32, uh, he's on the run from his father-in-law, and he's about to meet his estranged brother. And so he's praying in this place, asking for God's blessing. I think maybe this story's for you. So listen. In the middle of the night, this man shows up. And for some odd reason, they start wrestling, rolling around on the ground, grappling with each other, trying to get the upper hand. And Jacob's pretty strong. The man's stronger. And no, no matter how many times he scrambles and gets the upper hand on him, they're at stalemate. And so finally the sun starts to come up over the hills. The man says, hey, you got to turn me loose. It's almost morning. And Jacob says to him, I'm not going to turn you loose until you bless me. And so he blesses him. And some of y'all need to wrestle with God in prayer. Some of you are wrestling with God in prayer. And it feels like you've been up all night and you've been wearing yourself out trying to get through to him. Don't lose heart. Don't turn loose until he gives you the blessing you're after, until he answers the way you need that's what he wants for you. Oh, Hallisby says, The most difficult prayer and the prayer which therefore costs us the most striving is persevering prayer. 
The prayer which faints not, but continues steadfastly until the answer comes. You need to become a person who prays persistently. It needs to be your habit to wrestle with God, to get alone in the room and pray with him until he answers. We need some persistent moms and dads who are going to wrestle with God for their kids and grandkids. Don't take no for an answer. You know who he is and what he's capable of doing. doesn't matter how far they are. doesn't matter decisions they make. God is able to do more than you can ask or think. Believe, wrestle, trust, persist. We need to become a church that prays like that. A church that won't take no for an answer. God, I don't want to show up and play church. I don't want to show up and preach. If your spirit's not going to be there, I'd just as soon go somewhere else. I hope you'd say the same thing. I hope you're not here because of the tie I wear. I hope you're here because God's here. Because God's speaking to you and working in your life. And if there ever comes a time when he's not here, we are in trouble. So we need to persist. We need to wrestle with God until he pours out his spirit on our church. So you need to bring your brokenness persistently. Number three, you need to bring your, your brokenness to Jesus immediately. Immediately. This is verse 49 and 50. When Jesus called Bartimaeus, he immediately sprang up and read, ran to Jesus. He said, call him here. And so they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. I mean, I know your imagination gets the vivid details perfect, right? They come to him. Finally, the crowd that was telling him to be quiet now gets to be the messengers for Jesus, bringing Bartimaeus to him. And they say, come on, he's calling for you. Get up. So Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus takes off his cloak. That's an interesting feature of the story. And he's not getting undressed. Instead, the way beggars often did it, they would take their outer garment and they'd spread it over and around their waist so that as people walked by and threw change at them, they could grab it up. So Bartimaeus had been sitting there all day gathering alms in his cloak, but when Jesus said, hey, call him here, none of that mattered. It didn't matter how much change was collected there in the folds of his garment. He threw it away, sprang up, and ran to Jesus. Now, I'm confused how he found him. Mark tells us there's a crowd of people. They're all smashing into the street. Are these people escorting him? Or I like to think maybe Bartimaeus hears the sound of Jesus' voice. And he's running as fast as he can towards the voice of the master. But anyway, he didn't waste any time. He didn't ask anybody to help him. He didn't say, hey, can you take my cloak? Can you grab my money? He just, he'd been crying for mercy. And when Jesus turned his attention his way, he responded immediately. I think that's the way we need to get with our prayers. I mean, there is this biblical principle that we should seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Isaiah 55, 6. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, At the favorable time of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The author of the letter to the Hebrews quotes the Old Testament and says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Listen, tomorrow is not promised to you. And tomorrow's done. God's interested in dealing with you today. Today, in this moment, at 1137, on January 8th, God wants you now. And if we want to pray the way Bartimaeus prays, if we want to experience the answers to prayers that we so desperately need, we have to get in the habit of praying immediately. 
Don't say, hey, you know what? I, need, I really need to pray about that. And then intend to pray about it later. That's how I am. I mean, how long do you have to go before you really break down and pray? How bad does it get? How long is the rope that you get to the end of? And then you cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Is it at the first sign of trouble, or do you see how far you can make it on your own, and then you call for help when you get into a situation? No, we need to pray immediately. I think about this. Immediately when you get up in the morning. I say this all the time. You need to pray early, first, or you're not going to pray at all. Don't say, hey, I'll pray later. You're not going to pray later. Pray first when you rise, immediately. We need to get in the habit of praying immediately when people ask us. I'm so guilty of this. Hey, will you pray for me? I got this coming up. Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And I usually, some of y'all know this, I'll take my phone out and put it in my to-do list so I can get to it this week. Why not just immediately pray? Hey, can you pray for me? Yeah, let's pray right now. Let's just believe together in who God is and what he's capable of doing. Let's ignore the distractions around us, and let's pray right now. Here we are, where two or more are gathered together. There I am among them. What's keeping us from praying right now? Nothing. So let's immediately pray when people ask. Immediately pray when God's convicting you. Do you know what a conviction of sin feels like? You know, it's that small voice inside of you that says, hey, you know you shouldn't have done that. When my little girl was little, she was a handful, still is. But one day I was trying to get her to calm down at night, and maybe she was two or three, and I, was, I pet her face when she was little. She, she was dozing off. She said, can't be doing this, honey. Can't be doing this, honey. And I said, who told you that? She said, my teacher at school. And you think, hey, can't be doing this, honey. God's convicting you. Brad, you can't be doing this. Can't be talking to people that way. Can't be thinking those thoughts. Can't be making those plans. That's conviction of sin. When that voice inside of you convicts, immediately pray. Don't say, hey, you know, that's something I really need to work on. Maybe I should talk to the pastor about that. No, you need to talk to God about it right now. When you lose your cool at work and school, immediately pray, God, forgive me. I just lost it. Made a fool of myself. Forgive me of that. Help me be different. Help me to be patient and kind. When you say things you shouldn't have said to your family, you know what, I need to, tonight when I get home from work, I'm going to apologize to my wife for what I said before I left. No, you need to shoot her a text message or pick up the phone and call her and say, hey, look, I left in the wrong way, and I'm super sorry. Will you forgive me? When you're overcome with worry and dread about the day, pray. When you're anxious about the big decisions and you feel it welling up within you, just right there, wherever you are, I'm going to pray. Don't say, I'll pray later. Don't make plans to pray later. Pray right there. Get up, spring up from whatever you're doing and pray. And we need to pray immediately when God is speaking. Because sometimes it's not always conviction of sin. But you know you ought to do something. And the decision is before you. Am I going to do it? I recently got really convicted about this. Uh, I was trying to map out my sermons for 2023. And we're starting next week in Mark 11. And it's going to take us right all the way to Easter on April 9th. And I had this one passage of Bartimaeus left to preach. 
And so I thought, well, I'll just tack it on the end of prayer week, and we'll do some prayer stuff in our service, but I'll preach this Mark sermon. And as I really dug in, I started seeing that this passage is really all about prayer and how essential prayer is in response to what God is doing. And I started thinking about the opportunities we extend to people to respond to God. And I don't know, they tell you not to do this, but I wonder, how many of you gave your life to Jesus in response to a public invitation or altar call? A preacher was up on the stage, got to the end of his sermon and said, hey, will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And then he shared the gospel, and then he asked you to raise your hand, and if you were really courageous, you got out of the aisle and you walked down to the front. Did anybody give their life to Jesus that way? I did. Do we do that at Central Baptist Church? Does Brad Mills do that? No. I have theological and doctrinal reasons why I don't. I don't want to manipulate people. You know, I don't want to twist your arm and say, hey, you're going to hell if you don't confess Christ. Come down the aisle. But as I was reading this passage, I really got convicted. Because when people show up at church, they show up for a variety of reasons. Some people are desperately, deeply, madly in love with God. And if we had church every day of the week, you'd be here. Some people got dragged here by their spouse or parents. And they don't want to be here, but they're here. Other people are in a crisis. They're saying prayers up in the sky. Hey, if there's a God out there who loves me and cares about me, I got to figure it out. I got to find out. And so what do they decide to do? They decide to show up at church. They're going to sing the songs with us, and they're going to listen to the sermon. And the Holy Spirit's going to be faithful to anoint the preaching and reading of Scripture. And he's going to work on their hearts, convicting them of sin. And I'm going to get to the end of my sermon. I'm going to say, hey, will you bow your head with me? And I'm going to pray, and Mike's going to sing a song, and I'm going to come up here and announce, and we're going to send people out. But Jesus is passing by them. He's passing by you today. You may not open the Scriptures again this week. This may be the closest you get to God all week long. And if I get to the end of my sermon and shut things down and we all head out the doors, did you bring your brokenness to him immediately when he was speaking? Today's the day of salvation. Now's the favorable time. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart in the rebellion. I don't want you to go home and think about it all week. Today, immediately, if God is speaking to you, respond to him. And so I made this commitment to God and to myself that I was going to tell you on January 8th I was going to be doing something every Sunday in 2023. That way you could hold me accountable and I couldn't bail on it halfway through the year. Is that when I get to the end of my sermon, instead of saying, hey, will you pray with me, and then just shutting things down, we're going to take a few minutes to let people respond. We've recruited a team of people called prayer partners. They're going to be in the back and at the front with me. But if you need somebody to pray with you, if you need to bring your brokenness to Jesus immediately, right now, there are people who'd love to bring it with you, to put an arm on your shoulder or to pray a prayer over you or to just partner with you believingly that God is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. I'm going to challenge people to give their life to Jesus. Say, hey, look, don't go home and think about if you want to follow Jesus. He's talking to you right now. Hey, come here. Bring them to me. What do you want me to do for you 
You need to say to him, I want you to change my life. I want you to take the brokenness that I've made and replace it with something that's fresh and new. I want what you want for me. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to repent of my sins, and I want to live your way. I want to challenge people to recommit their lives to Jesus. Because we all get there. We all drift. We get off track. And we started out so great, but life gets in the way, and stuff happens. And somewhere we look up, and we're so far from God, we don't even know how to begin again. And if a person's here that feels that way, I want to give them every chance to leave here right with God. And then I'm going to invite people who may be present, who know Jesus and love him, but don't have any friends to encourage and support them, that don't have a church family to partner with us in following Jesus. And so for the next, what is it, 50 weeks, the end of my sermon, I'm going to say, Mike and the band are going to come up and lead us in another song. And as they do, will you stand? And if you need to respond to God and bring your brokenness to Jesus, do so now. If you need to follow Jesus, do it. Repent of your sins and trust in him as Lord. If you need to recommit your life to Jesus, do it right now. If you need to partner with us as a church family, do it right now. And if you need prayer, we have people who would love nothing more than to pray with you. We don't want to put it off for another day. We don't want to wait till this afternoon. We want to do it immediately right now. So we need to bring our brokenness to Jesus immediately. And lastly, we need to bring our brokenness to Jesus simply. So when Bartimaeus heard Jesus' invitation in verse 51, he says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And I love that. There's no elaborate formula. Doesn't have to butter Jesus up, flatter him with a bunch of words. He says, my master. I want to regain my sight. Simple as that. This is the way Jesus taught us to pray. He told his disciples, when you're praying, don't use meaningless phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words. But don't be like them. Your father already knows what you need before you ask. So pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know it, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus said to pray like that, simply. Don't get caught up in knowing the right phrases. There are no secret code words. You don't have to decipher what God really wants to hear. When you cry out, persisting, over the distractions of your life, over the unbelief in your heart, over the discouragement that has built up year after year to just say, help me, God. God, I'm desperate for you. More of you, God, in my life. He hears it. Simple. He's like a mother. How do women know what that cry means? My sister just had a baby. So all Christmas, we sat around watching baby Dax cry. He's so little, that's all they do is cry and then occasionally smile. But it's amazing to me how the women in the room can discern the difference in cries. Blood-curdling to me, screeches, whiny. But hey, a mom knows, oh, he's hungry. Mom knows, oh, he's tired. He wants to be held. That's simple. That's the way the Father is with you. 
He can discern every longing of your heart, every sound that comes out to him in prayer. He knows what it means. So much so that Paul could encourage us and say, hey, the Spirit helps us when we're weak. We don't even know how to pray like we should. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There is a beautiful thing that happens when you trust in Jesus. He gives you his Holy Spirit to live inside of you, and he fills up what is lacking in your prayers. You don't know what to pray what you should. Lord, I wish I could articulate what I feel in my heart. I wish I knew how to tease out the gut-wrenching emotions I'm feeling. But I don't. I'm just here. I'm broken in front of you. I want to regain my sight. That's what the Father wants from you. He wants simple, believing, persistent prayer given to him immediately. So don't make it harder than it has to be. Don't shoot for the moon and land among the stars. Don't try to be a saint. Just get acquainted with your brokenness and do what Bartimaeus did because when you bring your brokenness to Jesus in prayer, he greets you with his mercy and gives you what you need. So I wonder this morning what brokenness you need to bring to Jesus. In just a few minutes, Mike and our band are going to come and lead us in another song. And when they do, maybe as we were talking about this public invitation time, you knew in your heart what I was talking about. God brought you here today because it's time to get right with him. And so maybe this morning, hey, look, I forgot to mention this earlier. No harm, no foul. Let's just time out. I'm going to do this for the next 50 weeks. And so I want you to, I want you to get used to it, okay? It's, it's an opportunity for people who hear the voice of God speaking to them to respond to him immediately. It is not a time for us to pack up our stuff and get ready to go. I'm sorry to be that way, but it's got to be said. If you feel like you're totally set with God and the public invitation time does not apply to you, then pray for the people around you who are wrestling with God in their heart, who are trying to get over every obstacle that's in their way to believing immediate prayer. They're around you right now. And I wish they had a red hat on, or a yellow hat, or a special jersey. That way we could all pick them out. But only God knows. And so when I say, hey, in just a few minutes, Mike and our band are going to come and lead us in another song, it's your cue as the people of God to start praying. Holy Spirit, you know the people around me. You know what they're going through. You know each person in this room. You know what they are battling with right now in their heart. And we want more than anything We want them to be obedient to your voice. We want them to respond to you immediately in faith for whatever it is they need. And so I know we're trying to get used to it. I haven't done this, so I'm trying to be disciplined about it. And will you be disciplined about it with me? Will you commit to pray each week when I do this? Okay, time in. So in a few minutes, our band is going to come and lead us in another song. And if you feel like something in our service, the Holy Spirit was speaking to you, now is your time to respond. You need to respond immediately. Don't put it off 
for another day. God brought you here, arranging all the details of your life so that you would hear the message he prepared for you. So maybe today you need to respond to Jesus. You need to repent of your sins, trust him as Lord, and commit to following him the rest of your life. Maybe you started out good a long time ago, but you've gotten far away from God, and today's the day he wants to get you back on track with him. You need to follow him. Maybe you are following him, but you know what would mean a lot to you? If you had a church family, people to encourage and inspire you to follow Jesus when it got tough. We want to be that church family, don't we? So if you need friends, we're here for you. And if you need prayer, if you don't know what to pray, you don't even know how to pray, but you want somebody to pray for you, our prayer partners are going to be in the back. they got a blue lanyard on. I'll be down in the front. When they play the song, that's your cue to come and talk to somebody to get right with God. Church family, will you bow your head with me?